And welcome back, everybody, to Double Down with Breslow, where we have another great guest in the business of sports betting. And Double Down, we cover everything regarding the business of sports betting, and we love having young entrepreneurs on the show. And we've got a great one today. That's Dean Sisson. He is the co-founder and CEO at Profit Exchange, which I believe is the first exchange wagering platform uh, launched in the U.S. Uh, exchange wagering, of course, is where players can play directly against other players rather than against the house. So uh, Dean's here to explain it all to us. Welcome, Dean. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, quick, uh, maybe adjustment in, in how you phrase that. We are the first fully regulated betting exchange, which uh, we very much hang our hats on. Uh, there have been a couple who have come and gone, but they were not regulated. So this is the first one you could trust, I'll say. Nice. So so these others, are you saying that um, they people just kind of put these up on the internet to allow people to start betting against each other, hoping that it was somehow legal? They, I'll say, found loopholes in, in how to operate their exchanges. They were legitimate. Uh, but they were not regulated by uh, any body in the United States. Um, there was one that was just for horse racing. And then there was another one back 15 years ago or so that had a lot of sports, but it was not a fully regulated platform by any means. Uh, PASPO was repealed in 2018. And then that's when regulation really took hold. Yeah. The horse racing one, I remember hearing about, remind me who, that was a, a larger company that brought that, right? Betfair, yeah. That one was Betfair. Okay. Uh, the other one, the the big one was Trade Sports. Uh, they were 15 years ago, I'd say. Roughly. And was that like a kind of an offshore situation? I'm not entirely positive where they were headquartered, but it was very popular in the U.S. Uh, for a period of time. Ultimately, they didn't succeed because they had liquidity issues. They had a lot of markets up. They didn't have... Um, I think they overbuilt the, the product experience as opposed to starting small and then expanding out with, with liquidity and scaling up an exchange. But um, I'm not sure where they were headquartered exactly. I don't know exactly the details on how they were operating, um, but I know they are not operating any longer. Yeah, well, and if they weren't regulated, then I guess the legality of it was pretty questionable, right? Correct. Just kind of perhaps under the theory that, hey, all we're doing, we're not taking sports bets. We're just sitting back and allowing the public to communicate directly with each other and providing a platform for that. Basically, you also run into the issue of, you know, how do I know my money is safe? Look what happened in crypto recently. Uh, you also run into the issue of how do I know that I'm going to be paid out on my bets, right? You just, it, it kind of, uh, it snowballs when you take in customer money and you're not regulated. It's just not, you know, gets a little dicey. Yeah. No, that, that middleman is absolutely critical, which is essentially the role that the profit exchange I, I would imagine takes. And we'll, we'll get into that, but I, I just had this, this experience with, um, with, with, with StubHub and was thinking about it. Um, was looking at concert tickets for, for Taylor Swift I'm a big Taylor yeah. Swift fan, but I, yeah. I loved her. In, I loved her in the country days. So not quite as excited about this new tour, but everybody's just raving about this tour and ticket prices are just ridiculous. I mean, she's doing six shows at SoFi Stadium here in L.A. All sold out. The cheapest ticket on StubHub is nine hundred dollars. That's for sitting in the worst possible seat behind the stage in the last Insane. row is nine hundred dollars. So for the heck of it, I decided to go on Craigslist 
and and see, you know what, maybe there's something cheaper on Craigslist. And sure enough, there's people on there selling for half the price. And everything now is electronic tickets, right? So you can't go meet the person, exchange the tickets. So I'm like, all right, how am I going to, are you going to send me the tickets first or am I sending you the money first? And the guy basically says, well, you know, he was just, I think it was a scam, bottom line. But he's basically saying that, well, you can send me half of the money first, then I'll send you the tickets, and then you can send me the other half of the money. I'm just thinking, yeah, right. I mean, there's just no assurance. I send this guy my money, and I've got no And that's the important role that, that StubHub plays, right, is essentially kind of an escrow where they're in the middle, and the guy sends the tickets to them, and I send the money to them, and they're kind of holding it, and they're, they're my guarantee, and it's the same thing with a with a bet. You, you know, you could bet with anybody on the internet through Facebook or whatever, but who's to say the guy is going to pay you when you win? And I would imagine, yep. am I, is that a fair way of saying you guys are the stub hub of sports betting? That is a very good analogy. It, it, it basically spot on. On stub hub, people buy tickets from, I believe first like a, a primary distributor and then they go sell them on StubHub, right? StubHub's right. more a secondary marketplace. But with that analogy that you just went through with the uh, StubHub being the intermediary between two peers and they hold the money in escrow, that is exactly what we do. Um, however, what you can do is imagine if StubHub had the ability to have users buy the initial ticket there, not just uh, a resale. So right. you can get it as soon as it's distributed. That's what we are. Right. And of course you take a fee, but hopefully not the onerous fees that StubHub takes because <laughs> it is incredible what they what they take. I'm a big concert goer, so I pay attention to this kind of stuff. But I mean, uh -huh. they're charging both sides a fee and, and, and when all said and done, they're taking about 30%. <laughs> so- so when 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 somebody buys two thousand dollar tickets for Taylor Swift, they're they're getting six hundred of that. I'm in the wrong business. Oh my god! Yeah. Oh, it's oh, it's insane. It's in uh, a lot of competitors have come up. You know, there's Vivid Tickets and a number of others, but SeatGeek. But um, you know, no, everybody seems to be kind of charging about the same too. You know, Ticketmaster's gotten into the business too. But yeah, I, I don't know why somebody hasn't been able to come in and undercut that by about. 50%. But so, but let, let's talk about your fees because I mean, I know that's one of the biggest, I went on your website. That's one of the biggest things that you're touting to potential players is that, Hey, whereas you got to pay 110 to win hundred typically on the other sites, we're going to make that cheaper for you. So talk yep. about how, how much cheaper you're able to make it. We like to call it a no brainer, right? If you're going to, it's the same exact product that you're buying, right? That bet. But typically you'll see sports bet lines of minus 101, minus 102 on a spread bet as opposed to minus 110. We then take 2%. So, you know, you're roughly minus 103, minus 104. However, if you are trading in and out of your position, we charge on the net position that you have. So if you take both sides of a bet, you don't get charged on half the bet that wins and not the half that loses, you get charged on the combined position. And it's 2% on all net winnings per market is what we call that. Okay. You lost me on both sides. What, what, <laughs> what do you mean about somebody being on both sides of the bet? If you want to trade while the game is going on, right? If you want a live bet. So let's say you place a bet on a, on a, on a game. The Jets play the Browns tonight preseason let's just use that for an example if you're uh sick in the head like i am you're, you're going to be betting on that game is there actually a preseason game tonight oh yeah it's all fame game oh my god wow i didn't realize <laughs> we were that we were there already oh we're there i can't <laughs> wait 
Anyway, it's pretty close to even odds. So I'm going to, I'm going to use even odds as an example. If I take the jets for $100 at even odds, I now have an outstanding position on the jets for a hundred dollars to win or net $100. And if it's only if the jets win, right. Let's say the game's going on and the Browns are up three, nothing. The jets look terrible. I want to get out of my position, right. I can then bet on the Browns at even odds. Let's just say they're even odds for this example, uh, for a hundred dollars. And if I bet on the Browns for a hundred dollars at even odds, and I bet on the jets for a hundred dollars at even odds, I have a net zero position because no matter what happens, I'm going to win a hundred dollars and I'm going to lose a hundred dollars. We do not charge 2% on the side that wins in that scenario. We charge on your net bet. Okay. Your net bet is zero to win zero. So you so, would not be charged. That's what I was referencing with that. So in that, in that circumstance, I would be charged zero. Yep. And it, 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 I don't have to be laying off the exact bet that I placed. I can be placing it with a new, a new better. Yep. Gotcha. So now your typical bet, let's keep it real simple here is, you know, let's keep it jets Browns and let's say the game's minus seven. Wouldn't somebody typically put up there that, Hey, I'm willing to take the, the jets minus seven and they're matching with somebody that says, okay, I'm willing to take the Browns plus seven and it's a hundred to win a hundred. Isn't that kind of the most standard bet? There's, there's, there's no VIG because we're playing against each other. 100 against 100, yeah. except that profit exchange takes 2%, making it 102 to win 100? Yep. Or 100 to win 98, whichever way you want it, right? Uh, yes, that is exactly right. Also, I will note there that you don't need just one person to bet against one person. So we function similar to a stock market or an options exchange, where if you are offering a price, like you want the Jets minus seven at for $100, Someone can come in and say, okay, well, I want the Jet or the Browns plus seven, but I only want $50. So what will happen is they take $50 of that bet and then $50 is left open yeah. to another person to take. So the the biggest trick with exchange wagering compared to regular bet is if I go on a regular sports betting website, I know that I don't need to worry about whether there's a player on the other side. I just go on and place the bet and I'm done, right? Yeah. So here... If I want to make a bet, how do I, you know, I have to sit around and wait to see if somebody takes the other side of it, right? Isn't that kind of the downside? That's exactly right. This is where it gets very interesting uh, and complicated by the way it sounds. But if you go on our site, it looks and feels like a sports book, right? You are betting at minus 102, minus 101 instead of minus 110, right? However, in order to get to that point, we can't just roll out an exchange and say, oh, well, hopefully, you know, 10 million people sign up and start playing on the site and everyone's requesting prices against one another, right? You have the, the age-old questions is the liquidity issue. How do you get the ball rolling? And the way you get the ball rolling, very similar to financial exchanges, is you need contracted market makers. And basically what their job is, is to price, put up offers or put up money and all of these different betting outcomes. The way they work is they have contracts with us that say they have to put up X amount of money at this time of the day uh, and at this odds for this outcome. And then as the time changes, the money changes. And, and when you go on profit, you see exactly what it looks like. Uh, however, if you as the user go on profit, you don't like the odds that are available, you can request your own price and then you will essentially be in the front of the line uh, ahead of the market maker 
to then get that next bet filled by another person. So the party gets started, the ball gets rolling with these market makers, and then the people come in and fill it all in. Does that make sense? Yeah. So you're distributing to market makers odds, essentially, saying, hey, guys, we need liquidity on this. It's it's uh, Jets minus seven. Who wants to come in on the Jets side? Who wants to come in on the Brown side? Or even better yet, you can think of one market maker doing both. So they'll say, okay, the Jets minus seven and the Browns plus seven. I will give users the ability to bet at minus 103 on each of those outcomes. So they have plus 103, if that makes sense. Okay. On the Jets minus seven and the Browns plus seven. So on profit, you see minus 103, minus 103. So that's if you don't what, like that. Sorry. So that's what allows the market maker to make money? Yep. Gotcha. Yeah. So, so what we wind up with then on profit exchange is not for your typical player 100 to win 100. It's 102 or 103 to win 100. Plus, there's the profit exchange take on it, commission on it, right? Yep. That's exactly right. Um, so, you so can. It, 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 sorry. And, and does the profit exchange, does that show up right there on the bet? So do, do I see what I'm paying you guys? That's right. Right in the bet slip. So full transparency. So so does it end up on average being more like 105 to win 100? No, because when you get closer to game time, the prices get better. Also, you can request your own price. Um, also, it's it's tough for me to say because if you're just placing a straight bet, just one single bet, you know, you'll shake out to closer to minus 103 uh, most times. On a spread. However, if you're trading in and out of your position, it's really hard for me to say mm-hmm. because of that net two percent example I was giving. Um, but if it's just one hundred three, how much is the market maker getting on that, and how much is profit exchange getting on that? We get two percent. So uh, let's say they're offering minus one hundred three, uh, minus one hundred three on sides, and someone puts down one hundred three dollars to win one hundred. The market maker is also charged commission, right? They're also charged two percent. So they have a hundred dollars to win a hundred and three, and the user has a hundred and three to win a hundred, and then we just collect two percent from the winner. Works the same way. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. Makes sense. Yep. Yep. All right. Well, let's take our first break there. And when we come back, let's find out how profit exchange is able to be profitable under this because all the other books are operating at one ten, and you guys are figuring out how to make money at a much lower margin. Just like I would like to see StubHub do. Uh, <laughs> We'll take our break, and then we'll be back with Dean Sisson, co-founder and CEO of Property Exchange. A deck that will last for generations. An engine rebuilt to run like new. A car so clean you almost don't want to get it dirty again. Almost. Quality means something. Big job or small, you make sure things get done right. It's not a competition. It's just that you're not willing to settle. Not in your work, not in your hobbies, and never with your bourbon. Evan Williams, bourbon done right. Hi, it's Lauren the Better, and you're listening to Double Down with Breslow on the Evergreen Podcast Network. And welcome back, everybody, to Double Down with Presto. We're talking to Dean Sisson, co-founder and CEO of Profit Exchange, the first regulated and licensed 
U.S. exchange wagering platform, uh, currently just operating in New Jersey, correct? That is correct. So tell us how you guys are doing. Uh, it's been fun. I would be lying if I said that there weren't moments of uh, very high level stress and uh, nerves, but all in all, it's been a really fun ride. We're doing well. Um, so we so are, when, when did you first start taking bets in New Jersey? We took our first bet August 15, 2022. So we're coming up on our first uh, one year anniversary. Okay. Yeah. Um and uh, these market makers, which is you know essential to you, your business model, right? So I assume you had those in place from, from the get-go? We had a smaller one in place, I will say. And then we got another two larger ones uh, sometime in the spring or maybe late winter. Um, and our goal is to have more because the more competition that's created amongst the market makers, the tighter pricing gets and the more liquidity is on site and the better experience for the user. But that's something we're working on. And and do the market makers have to be licensed? They do. They do. And is this the, you know, we hear about exchange wagering in Europe being much bigger than, than it is in the US and it's mostly Betfair, right? In Europe? Yep. Is, is that, are you running it the same way they do it? Uh, very similarly. So there are a few exchanges in Europe and in Asia and, and all overseas. Betfair is the model that we've mainly looked after because of the way they treat market makers, because of the way they treat uh, every user relatively the same. Uh, they've gone on a uh, market-making competition model as opposed to an internal market-making model, which means they're operating somewhat as a sports book, somewhat as an exchange, um, because that promotes the best health for the exchange and for the user base. So um, yeah, we've we've largely modeled ourselves after that fair. Uh-huh. Uh, explain that last point you were making. What's the difference between the two ways you could work with market makers? So if you think about it, you go back to the problem of liquidity and a user comes on the site and they request a bet, right? What you can do is let that bet sit there and, and let a market maker take it or another person take it, or you can deem it necessary to take it yourself as the exchange. Now, there are instances where that's good for the exchange, right? And there are instances where it's bad. It's just a matter of if it's positive expected value or negative expected value. The trap that you end up falling into if you do this too much is you end up competing against everyone else in the pool for that money. And then you as the exchange have an unfair advantage. And then that funnels downstream to the user experience for customers and market makers. And then they end up being discouraged and they don't want to play and it has poor effects. Betfair didn't do that. Uh, that is the proper model to follow. It's why they're so successful. Gotcha. So you're saying it is permissible for profit exchange in New Jersey to accept a bet and take the other side, just like a regular sports book would? That's right. Uh-huh. But you're, but you're saying you're intentionally not doing that. We avoid that at all costs because of the market-making competition that we want to promote. Now, I'd be lying if I said we haven't done it in the past because we're a tiny exchange. And in order to make the user experience better, right. you, you need customers to have their bets matched, right? But that was more of a customer acquisition play, not a let's go make a lot of money off our customers play. Um, however, now we are fully focused on market-making competition and, and so on. So that's where we sit. And how creative 
does your site allow the player to be in, in suggesting a bet? In other words, does it already have to be a bet that you guys have listed on there? Or can I type out what I want to bet on? You can't. The short answer is you can get very creative, but you can't type out exactly what you want on the site. What you can do is write into us or tweet at us or uh, DM us on Instagram or whatever you may like to do and say, hey, I want to put up this market, this bet. And then we give you the ability. It's called Be The House. If you go on our site, you'll see a tab called Be The House. And if you want to request any sort of bet, you put it up put how much money you want on it, you pick your price and then boom, it's up there for someone else to take. Gotcha. So it has to go into you guys first and then you essentially have to approve it. We just have to make it. Yep, exactly. Uh huh. And otherwise, if I'm on your site, what am I seeing? Am I seeing only bets on there that there's already action on that I know I can take or things that are just offered on there that I would have to be the first one to propose a bet on? You'll see both, but very infrequently will you be the first one coming in and setting a price, which is why we have those contracted market makers, right? So when you come on our site, you see money lines, spreads, alt spreads, totals, all totals, all filled out with with minimum liquidity on on every price and every outcome across a lot of sports. Uh, right now we've got, well, it's, it's August 3rd, so there's not many sports on but there's tennis, there's UFC, there's Women's World Cup, there's baseball. So when you come on, you'll see all that. And then very infrequently, you'll see a blank market, which means you would have to come in and request the first bet or the first price, and then the liquidity gets rolled. And what about line changes? Do you handle them any differently than a regular sportsbook would? Well, the sportsbook changes prices themselves, right? Right. Because it's in their best interest to, to move the price accordingly because they're trying to make money from their customers, simply put. We don't do any of that. So that is all on the user and on the market makers to change their own prices. It gets pretty tricky with live betting because it's much more fast paced. So you won't see as many users requesting prices and changing prices, but rather market makers requesting prices and changing prices. Um, but profit doesn't handle any of that. So so I can't, as a market maker, I could take down my offer. Is that fair to say? So I, yep. I'm okay. So, and that's essentially how a line removed because let's, let's say it's minus yeah. seven. I got 5,000 bucks on there uh, on one side or the other, but I'm, I'm not getting any action because the line has moved or I don't want to take any action anymore on that side because the line has moved. So I'm going to yank it off and I'm going to put it back on at seven and a half, essentially. Yep, that's exactly right. They cancel it is what we call it. And then they repost it. All right. So back to my question at the break, how are you guys able to survive with such a thin margin? Because, you know, we hear about how competitive it is out there among the sports books and they're all handing out lots of free play and, yeah. you know, the cost of acquiring a customer is, you know, $500, $1,000, this and that. And yet, you know, you guys are playing in that same pool with much smaller margins. How are you able to do that? So the name of the game is, how much do you spend to get a customer and how much money do they provide you, right? It's, if you put a dollar into the business, how many dollars come out is really, you know, the essence of running a business. And in our case, the way we see it and why the numbers on the page tell us that we're going to be successful is our unit economics are really strong. So if I put a dollar into acquiring a customer right now, we're getting almost one and a half X back. And that's only in 11 months with, Quite honestly, a product that hasn't been, in my opinion, and in our team's opinion, very strong. We haven't had live betting. We haven't had 
the main deposit methods. We haven't had uh, all of the sports that we should have. We don't have player props, right? So it's a limited, it was a limited experience for a while. We didn't have a proper homepage. We didn't have proper spreads and totals markets. Anyway, the reason I believe when I'm looking at the numbers on the page, we can be profitable is because the cost to get a customer onto our platform is four to six times cheaper right now than it is a sports book. And our customer lifetime value, if they stick around at the rate that it seems to be that they're sticking around, our LTVs are going to be pretty comparable to a sports book. So if you just chop down your CPAs four to six X and your LTVs are relatively similar, that's a pretty good recipe for a good business. So, and, why, and, and why are you guys able to acquire customers so much more cheaply than the competitors? We actually have a value prop is what I like to say. I know that sounds harsh, but there's three ways to compete in sports betting. You have your product, right? FanDuel, DraftKings, let's call it like it is. They have the best products in the market. They have the most amount of markets offered, so I can bet on the most amount of items. You can compete on promotions, how much money you spend to keep your customers. Uh, I believe MGM is spending 65% of their customer lifetime values on retention. And then number three is just by way of example. And then number three is price. So who's got the best odds, right? No one competes on that third element. No one competes on price because everyone has the same exact business model. Everyone is a sports book. Everyone takes between 7 and 10% margin on handle every month. If you, you'll see you see the numbers come in. Every sports book comes between 7 and 10%. No one is operating on a low margin scale. No one is trying to win on price. And the reason that our CPAs have been so low is that people who are price sensitive come and see our platform, the learned behavior gets them and they stick around because, I mean, look, you're, I'm sure you're a sports better by the questions you've been asking me. Who in the world wouldn't want to bet at minus 103 every single time on a spread versus minus 110? You would have to be completely irrational. That's why our CPAs have been gotcha. So you, you don't have to throw a bunch of extra goodies at everybody because they're there for, for the quality. Exactly. Of okay. <laughs> Why why couldn't I or shouldn't I open up a sports book, which isn't player against player? It is the traditional model and just offer everything at 105 to win 100 instead of 110. Wouldn't I kind of get to where you are in the same way? I don't have to throw a bunch of goodies at everybody because my pricing is better. Yeah, but you'll never be able to make any money. So with all the overhead you have, there's a reason why there is a graveyard of low big sports books, and it's because the business model doesn't work. The lowest one I've seen is is Circa. They sit at minus 108 at times, and their margins are 2%. I know that for a fact. If you were to operate at minus 105, think about all the costs that come into it. There's marketing expenses. There's the trading teams that you have to have. There are sports betting licenses. There's uh, the product team and the engineering team. You're looking at a massive overhead bill, Right. The reason yeah. market makers can come in and offer minus 103 is they don't have any of that. <laughs> it's, a, it's a lot easier for them to make money on low margin yeah, because they don't have any of that overhead. Yeah. One of the thing that just occurred to me too is one of the reasons you have the spread is because of the risk, right? That if you're a book, you're not guaranteed to have even action. So part of the reason it's 110, right, is not just to cover your cost, but to cover the fact that we're never going to have even money on both sides. And so we need that spread. You guys already 
you're just taking a percentage. You don't have to worry about who wins or loses, right? That's the main difference between you guys and a regular sports book is a regular sports book on every game. They're actually rooting for one team or the other based on how the action came in. Right. Yeah, that's exactly right. Actually, when you think about it, technically we're rooting for the underdog every time because more money will go to the winners when the underdogs win. And technically we collect more commission when the underdog wins, right? Because 2% of plus 200 is better than 2% of minus 200. But at the end of the day, it's, it doesn't move the needle much. So mm-hmm. you're absolutely right. Okay. And what about the, what I'll call the looming competition? Because Betfair has been out there doing it in Europe. They're part of Flutter. That's FanDuel. At any, at any time, FanDuel could decide to turn this on and arguably bury you because they're so much bigger. That's right. And you know what the first question I asked myself before I started this is why isn't Betfair doing this? So luckily, I've already been through this exercise God knows how many times in my head. It would take a lot of conviction for them to launch an exchange in the U.S. And that's because, number one, they already had it. Uh, they, I can dive into some really complex issues, but I'll, I'll spare everyone. Number two is, and really the essence of it is, if they wanted to come to the U.S., it wouldn't just be a flick of a switch of what they currently have, right? Number one, they would have to restructure what they currently have because there are, I should say, the wire access in place. So for every state that you launch in, you have to have a different liquidity pool. The wire act forbids interstate wagering. Someone in New York can't bet against someone in New Jersey. So that's number one. And number two, if they wanted to do that, which they probably could, but number, but number two, it would take time. It would take a long period of time. They would have to go through the proper regulation. They can't just, you know, use the same rules and procedures they have in place for a sports book. It's a, a fundamentally different platform with fundamentally different tax implications, fundamentally different wallet implications. So they would have to go through all that. And then three, the cherry on top is they have a multi-billion dollar business. They would have to rip up their roadmap and have so much conviction to jump in and do this. So then the question becomes, well, do you buy someone out or do you build it yourself? And I'm betting that they probably buy someone out. <laughs> maybe maybe us, I don't know. Um <laughs> Unless we get big enough one day where, you know, we, we, but you buy them them. out. Yeah, exactly. Tell them no, thank you. (laughs) But yeah, that's, that's the exercise I went through in my head. Interesting. Last question you mentioned, you know, taking bets out of state, isn't there a consortium of states right now that have kind of gotten together um, to share liquidity? And isn't that a potential that it could happen? States could make deals with each other that, that uh, as you guys get approved in other states. So there is a safe harbor provision that's uh, active in poker between certain states. I don't know about uh, one that is live for sports betting. If if, if that is out there, uh, you're I'm going to Google this right after. But yeah. there are certain states that allow exchange play. I don't know if they allow interstate uh, pooling, but where do you? Uh, you know what? I'm probably thinking about the poker. The, the 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 poker one but if they, if you yeah. can do it with poker i mean there's really no reason why i don't think you could do it with sports betting i you know we we need to tell the proper people in charge that because i completely agree yeah yeah uh and what's most likely next state for you guys great question it is a state that is favorable for exchanges i will say in terms of market size and regulation there are a few we are thinking about i can't commit to anything right now because it changes so often in the sports betting space. And also it's a money issue, right? We're not going to go anywhere until Q1 24 Um, plan is to nail New Jersey and then focus on other States. Cool. 
All right, my friend. Uh, very impressive. And uh, glad to Thank see you guys out there and a, a, a startup American company. Love it. Love <laughs> it. Uh, Profit Exchange, Dean Sison, co-founder and CEO. Appreciate you coming on and best of luck. We'll be following your guys' progress. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. All right. And thank you all for watching and listening to Double Down with Presto. We'll be back soon with another episode. Thanks, everyone, for watching. Take care. I want you to smash that like button. <laughs> <laughs>